Good morning. Hey, yeah, I got to reel them in, huh? It's a good thing. That's church. It's a really good thing. If you're a guest with us, that was cool, uh, just to see everybody kind of relating to one another. And uh, My name's Rob. I'm one of the ministers here. I get to teach uh, quite often, and I'm glad to do it, and I'm excited that you're here with us. I want to invite you to do a couple things. One, we do have a gift for you we'd love for you to take. It's right out here in the lobby, the one that's under construction with no flooring, uh, that one, which we're very grateful that you're being patient with us through that. Um, but in addition to that, there's a white card in the seat in front of you guys. Uh, whether you're a member, um, you've just been attending for a long time, or you're a guest, we'd love for you to just fill that out uh, sometime during the sermon. It's cool. I'll think you're taking notes, so it'll be really encouraging to me. You can fill that out, and at the very end of our service, we have an offering time, and you can put that information in the tray. That helps us stay connected to who was here at church. It helps our elder shepherd uh, our church. You can put prayer requests on there. Just yesterday morning, we got the whole list of all the prayer requests written on those white cards, and our elders prayed over them. So uh, we're, we're honored to do that, and we want to welcome you to put your prayer requests and your information on those cards. Um, in addition to that, one other announcement is tonight is our annual church meeting. It's a congregational meeting. And I want to invite you uh, to be there with us uh, for this. Uh, whether you're a member of our church or not, we, we invite you to come back tonight at 5 o'clock. Uh, we're going to be celebrating all that God did. God did some really cool things at New Hope in 2016. And we're going to celebrate that. We're going to pause as a church and say thank you for that time. We're also going to look at uh, some updates and some things into our uh, next year, into 2017, as well as our members will vote uh, for some new offices that are taking place in 2017 as well. And then finally, uh, we're going to let uh, everybody here just kind of take a walk around the building, just kind of see some of the changes uh, that maybe you don't get a chance to see during Sunday morning services. So make plans to join us this evening. There's child care provided. We'd love to have you come back uh, tonight and join us. Hey, let's take a moment as a church, and let's just pray uh, that God would speak to us clearly from his word uh, this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you for the access that we have to Scripture. Thank you for the truth that is presented in Scripture. Thank you that it meets us where we are. God, I'm grateful for this sermon series that we're in, God with us. Because, Father, the Christmas message communicates that you meet us right where we're at. And you're a good Father. You love your children. And for that, we're grateful. Speak to us this morning, God. Speak clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the month of December is a month that we as a country, celebrate a lot of different things. In fact, I came across a list, I love this, of different things that are celebrated during the month of December. And I don't know if you knew this, but December the 5th is National Ninja Day. All right, it's a little late, so you can't celebrate it this year, but it's National Ninja Day. Some of you are saying, I didn't see that coming. That's because it's Ninja Day. (laughs) And if you saw it coming, it would not be Ninja Day. So... December 16th, so there's time for this one, guys, is the official chocolate-covered anything day. Amen? Okay, meaning put chocolate on anything because you can just lick the chocolate off and not worry about whatever it's on. So December 18th, this one's great. December the 18th is National Wear a Plunger on Your Head Day. It's a real thing. I don't know if that's a secret desire of yours or not. Uh... This is a day that you don't have to feel too weird about it, though, if it is, all right? Tradition says it has to be a new plunger. Now, here's the deal. David's preaching next Sunday. Do you know what next Sunday is? It's December the 18th. So, if you guys were to surprise him with a gift-wrapped brand new... No, don't do it, because I 
we'll be celebrating actually Christmas at his house, and I don't want to open coal. So, then of course, uh, all you Seinfeld fans, December 23rd is Festivus for the rest of us. I don't know if you're Seinfeld fans or not, but I hope you have your pole and you're ready for a Festivus miracle. So, no disrespect to any of those other things, but I don't know about you, but there is something special about this season, this Christmas season. And it's not just special for Christians. I mean, even non-believers that I have in my life, they get this, this aura about them during this season of the year where Christmas just becomes this special thing, even for them. It's just kind of set aside. There's something unique. There's something special. There's something really incredible about the divine interacting with humans. It's this wonderful thing. And this morning, I'm just pumped because we're calling this series God With Us. And this morning's sermon is an important one to me. Because I see my story and the story of Mary, who we're going to study in Luke chapter 1 this morning. We're going to look at her interaction with the angel, her interaction with the first time she encountered the story of Christmas. And how she worked through that story. And this morning what we're going to learn, and I'm excited for this because this is more than simply someone standing on the stage presenting something to you. This is a reality for all of us. This morning we're going to learn that one of the greatest gifts that God ever gave human beings is the gift of learning. Our ability to learn and to mature and to grow and to experience new things. What a gift from God. What a gift to grow your whole life and to learn new things and experience new things and gain new knowledge and understanding. That's a gift that God has given to us. And we're going to learn in a powerful way what an an incredible gift learning really is. One of my favorite things as a dad is to watch my kids learn new things. And one of my favorite seasons of watching them learn is my youngest son right now, Luke, is in the midst of that season. He's four years old and everything he learns, he gets this unique look on his face. I can't mimic it for you. I can't, I'm never prepared in time to get a picture of it, but it's this fascinating look of doubt mixed with uh, just desire to learn more. Uh, He's intrigued. It's like doubt and intrigue coming together all in the face of a four-year-old, and I love it. In fact, one of the things he recently learned, this is fascinating, he is infatuated with the, the Pixar movie Cars, all right? It's not one of Pixar's most successful movies, and yet kids just seem to love this movie post-production, right? Now that it's on like Netflix, we watch it nonstop. So I've seen the movie 143 times uh, and yet I still find joy watching it because he continually just wants to watch it and he's fascinated with it. One of the scenes in that movie is uh, a scene with this combine named Frank, all right? And for the longest time, Luke would watch this movie. This is Frank. He's not a pleasant combine, all right? This is like harvest is almost done and I'm frustrated and I'm in the combine and I'm driving. This is Frank, the combine. He looks very angry. Because in the scene in the movie, he's chasing Lightning McQueen, the, the star race car, and his fun, uh, fan, or his fun friend, Mater, in that field. And then later on, because of how intense this chase was from this angry combine, uh, he dreams about running away from him on a racetrack. So you see the angry combine. Some of you are like, I know the farmer that drives that combine. All right? <laughs> so Luke we would drive around in the car and Luke was like terrified of combines because of this movie where's Frank he would always want to know where's Frank in the fields where's Frank and we would drive by and we'd point out Frank every combine's named Frank now just so you know so name your combines Frank because that's it he would where's Frank where's Frank where's Frank until this year we finally took the time and we said you know what you're going to overcome this you've got to learn 
You've got to learn that combines are not what's depicted in this movie. And so here's a picture this year at harvest time where Luke got to actually sit in Frank. What a fun moment. Like to ride around. Yeah, he is really cute. Uh, <laughs> but what a fun movie. Uh, uh, what a fun experience to him to have a better understanding of this movie now. To him to sit inside and watch harvest take place. Watch a combine really work. Understand that not all combines are psycho car killers. Uh, there are some, I'm sure, that would like to at times, right? Uh, but not all combines are psycho and angry and, and frustrating. He had this great experience, and now he has Toy Frank, and he builds Toy Frank. He puts a blanket in front of our television, and the whole thing is Frank, and he, he depicts scenes from the movie, and he just has a blast with it because he learned it's not all that scary. I mean, he used to not want to go to bed at night because he was scared of that scene. He's a little kid. But now he learned this new lesson that these things aren't that bad. And it was a powerful lesson for him. I, see, I think the same thing is true with us. We come through these seasons and we encounter these truths and we wrestle through them. And one of the things I want you to learn this morning is this. I'm going to give away the big idea of the sermon. But I want, I want you to really grab onto this. I've been wrestling with this for weeks. This truth that God is with us. That's why we named this series God with us. God is with us in our questioning. And our doubts, because he delights in our learning. And God delights when you learn new things. God loves the look on your face of intrigue and doubt and uncertainty. And he loves when you explore new things and you learn new things and you gain new knowledge and experience and understanding. God loves, why? Because God's a good dad. And he loves watching his children mature and grow. We're going to watch that take place in the life of Mary this morning in Luke chapter 1. I'm excited because Mary enters into a process of learning, one that we can all grab onto. And if you're honest with yourself, now you might listen to this today and walk out of here and just be like, ah, just another sermon. But if you're honest for a moment and you'll pause and you'll really reflect on what's communicated in this passage, you can take these principles and you can apply them to any season of your life, not just Christmas. Any season of your spiritual development, no matter where you are, whether you're a Christian this morning or you're not, if you're honest, these principles apply to all of us. Let's see what we learn in Luke, the first chapter, beginning in verse 26. Now, I'm going to pause a few times. It's going to get kind of uh, choppy as we read through the first part of this passage because I want to offer you some context as we go through it. And so Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, it'll be on the screens if you don't have it in front of you. And here it is, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now that's where we're going to pause here. Who's Elizabeth? Like a lot of assumptions in the room, but let's just clarify that for a moment. Luke is writing what he says at the very beginning of chapter one, a very detailed account of all that he saw, all that he heard. He wants his friend Theophilus to know about Jesus. And he begins his story about Jesus by interacting with these two characters, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Now, they're older in age, and they're not able to have a child. And Zechariah works uh, at, the, at, at the temple, and he has duties to, that he has to fulfill. And in the midst of fulfilling his duties, later on in life, far beyond the years of being able to bear a child, an angel visits him. An angel of the Lord visits him right there in chapter 1 and tells him, hey, the Lord has heard your prayers, which means this was heavy on his heart. He'd been praying about this for a long time, he and his wife. We want to have children. We want to have children. And he's been praying and praying and praying. Maybe so long that he began to doubt. And now the angel visits him and says, hey, you're going to have this child. And his response is, this isn't possible. This can't happen. 
we're way beyond the years of being able to do this. And as a result, the angel says, now you're going to be punished for this. You're not going to be able to speak until the child arrives. He gives him some more instructions and he kind of moves on. And you read that and you think, wait a second, we're about to watch Mary kind of doubt too here in a moment. What's the difference here? Why was Zechariah punished and Mary doesn't seem to get punished uh, for her doubt? And it's the motivation behind it. We'll talk a little bit more about this in a moment. But Zechariah wasn't just doubting in an effort to learn more. He was doubting, saying, it's not possible. I already know better than this. I've been praying for years. We're beyond the years. This isn't possible, God. This, this isn't going to happen. He was questioning the ability for it to ever happen. He didn't want to know how it was going to happen. He didn't think it could happen. So he doubts. And now we, we move on. So in the sixth month of, the, uh, of that pregnancy, Luke begins to tell us more. In the sixth month of the pregnancy, he moves on here. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. So now an angel's going to go to Mary. Just come to Zechariah. Zechariah was communicated with, but his pride. And here's the thing I want you to hear. Pride and learning cannot coexist. They don't, they don't exist together. You see, pride doesn't leave room for learning. It assumes knowledge and understanding. So the vulnerability necessary to, to be able to learn isn't there when we're prideful. Zechariah had a, a pride about him that was not leaving room for a willingness to go and explore and learn more. And now the angel's coming to, this, uh, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, verse 27, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now last week, I want to really encourage you to jump on our website and listen to last week's sermon because David did a good job explaining what Jesus coming from the line of David uh, really meant. Continuing here at the end of verse uh, 27, the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now we're going to pause. At this point, Mary's been presented with truth. Mary's encountered this angel. The truth has been presented clearly to her, and she now ent- she's entering into this process of learning. She's going to begin to engage with the material that's been presented to her. She's not just going to blindly accept it, which is such a beautiful truth. Verse 34, she says, How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. Verse 35, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. When Elizabeth, your relative, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Some translations say, for nothing is impossible with God. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May, it be, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So Mary enters this uh, process of learning, and the first step in her process of learning is she intentionally thinks through what she is presented with. So it's intentional thinking. The same thing that's true for all of us. Intentional thinking. She's presented, the angel comes to her in verse 28, and that's a very difficult verse to translate, but it says, hey, Mary, uh, the Lord is with you. You found favor with God. You're going to experience something pretty incredible. And how does Mary respond? I mean, if, if, you, if the Bible's just a, a legend and it's not true, if the Bible's just a fairy tale, if the Bible is just a fable, 
how would Mary respond? She would respond with, oh, well, great. I see an angel and God wants to use me. This is awesome. And her faith would never waver. She'd never question. She'd never doubt. But how does she respond? Verse 29 says that she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. That word wondered in Greek is this word you'll see on the screen. Dialogue isomai. Dialogue isomai. Let's say it together. Dialogue. Let's try again. I'll say it and then you say it. Dialogue isomai. Got it. Dialogue isomai. It literally means to logic through something. To rationally think. Dialogue isomai. To think through something. To wrestle with. To intensely analyze something. Her thoughts are racing through her mind, and she's saying, what am I seeing here? What am I experiencing? What, what is, is this real? Is this actually happening? Am I dreaming? Did I just eat some bad food last night? What is it that's right in front of me in this moment? She is dialogizomai. She's trying to think logically through what she experiences in this moment. Now, here's the thing I love about this. Mary had no cultural, this is not an, an instance that some people might think, we're like, okay, well, Rob, I'm a modern-day skeptical person. Um, I don't believe in that spiritual stuff where God could become a man. I'm not, and I think back then they probably thought that. Like somehow we're more advanced and they're primitive. But back then they were very intelligent. They thought through things well. And there was no cultural reason why she would believe that God would become a man. There was no reason for her to grab onto that. So when she's presented with this truth, it sets her back for a minute. And she's... She's, what kind of greeting, what, what kind of encounter am I having with this person? What is it that would then cause her to want to move forward and to continue, not just thinking about this, but to wrestle through some doubts here in a minute? What would it cause to, to do that? She's encountered with this truth. This is why C.S. Lewis, I love what he says, and he dialogizomied for 10 years before coming to this conclusion. And Lewis said this, the reason I believe in Christianity is because no one is brilliant enough or crazy enough to have, brought, to have thought this up. No one is smart enough to have thought this up. No one's crazy enough to have tried to think this up. This, all I can do with this is to continue to explore more layers and layers of this truth. So let me ask you this. Step one. Are you willing to think? I mean really think. This Christmas season, are you willing, some of you who grew up in church your whole life, to stop assuming that you know everything? to revisit some of those truths that you claim to be central to your heart and to your life? Are you willing to stop and just ask some real questions? Say, man, why is it that I believe what I believe? What kind of a greeting? Are you willing to dialogue ease of mind? To analyze, intentionally think through what you believe or what you claim to believe. Maybe you're not a believer. Or maybe you're wrestling so much with belief that you don't know that you're a believer in Jesus. And so I would ask, are you willing to think? I mean, Mary was just at least willing to think through it. She was willing to have those thoughts. She was willing to explore those thoughts. Now look at the angel's reaction. He doesn't scold her. He doesn't look at her and say, how dare you ask questions? How dare you think about this? You just should blindly accept it. Like so many of us think other people should do, that somehow when we just present truth, they should blindly accept it. You're not allowed to wrestle with this. I mean, oftentimes, one of my experiences in many churches, and I'm not saying all churches, so don't hear this as a blanket statement, but in many church experiences, there was no room for questions, no room for doubt, no permission, no grace. You didn't feel like you could ask questions. But the angel doesn't scold her. The angel looks at her and sees that she's wrestling with this, that she can't quite comprehend it. And then he offers more information. He says, whoa, 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 Mary, let me, let me offer you a little bit more. Let me explain this a little bit deeper. 
Now, if you have the courage to answer questions, here's what I love about Christmas. God with us. I love this about Christmas. It's an invitation for you to ask questions. I mean, the truth of Christmas is an invitation. Ask your questions. God's not intimidated by them. Your skepticism, your doubts, your questions, they don't scare God. He welcomes them. He wants to engage with you. The question is, do you have the courage to begin asking those questions? To begin exploring those truths? Because we know this, God with us in our questions, the reason for that, the reason he's with us in our questions is because he finds so much joy in watching us learn. The second step in Mary's learning process is this. She had intentional questions, now she has honest doubting. She asks questions and wrestles with what she sees. And Gabriel says, okay, let me explain this just a little bit further. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You're going to conceive and give birth to a child. And it's going to be miraculous. And she steps back. And what's her response to this? How can this be? Like, how's this going to happen? How's this going to work? Because I'm a virgin. So I'm not, I I just can't understand how this is going to work. Now, there's two ways that you can ask that question. You can ask it arrogantly with kind of this assumed, I know better. You can say, how's this going to work? I'm a virgin. It's not going to work. That's not the way things happen. And you can ask your questions and present your doubts in kind of a cowardly way in an effort to not have to be confronted with the truth. And my encounter with so many people, my encounter with myself is I've asked a lot of questions in an effort to not have to face the truth. I don't know if you've ever been there or you've experienced this with other people. I remember growing up, Uh, There were a few times toward my junior year and senior year of high school where people would try to come and present the truth of Jesus to me in multiple uh, different settings, and I just didn't want to hear it. And so I'd kind of push back against it, and I would present doubts, not in an effort to learn. Like when I presented my doubts about Jesus, it wasn't so that they could come back and help me explore those doubts and find truth. It was to present the doubt in such a way to say, hey, you can stop now. I don't want to hear this anymore. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I, I don't want that. But there's a second way to ask this question that Mary asked. It's with a humility. It's with a, God, I'm not quite sure how this is all going to work. I can't wrap my brain around it. I don't understand this. Lord, would you please provide a little bit more information? Lord, would you please guide me through this? And that's the kind of doubt that God welcomes. There's a kind of doubt that God hates. It's one that refuses to learn and grow. There's a kind of doubt that God loves and embraces. And it's one of humility that says, I'm willing to learn. Will you teach me? I'm willing to learn, will you teach me? Lord, will you meet me in this place and and help me work through this? That's what Mary did. Mary stops and she says, Lord, I don't quite understand this. Will you just walk with me through this? I have my doubts. And look, I want you to understand this. You're allowed to doubt. You're allowed to not understand everything. You're allowed to not know it all. I don't know if anyone's given you permission to do that. Many of you who are such seasoned believers think that as you get older in Christ, you should have less and less doubt. And that's just not true because when you stop doubting, you stop learning. Doubt is healthy when the motivation is to grow and to learn and to explore more things. That's what Mary did. That's what so many characters in the New Testament did. Look at the Apostle Paul on his road to Damascus. When confronted with truth, he sits for three days and mourns as he works through his doubts and his questions, and the Lord meets him in that. He goes on and spends years learning and growing before becoming the greatest church planter to ever live. Look at the brother of Jesus, James, who doubted Jesus' divinity all through his life, and then after the resurrection is confronted with this truth and doubts and questions, and God meets him in his questioning and his doubting and affirms him, and he becomes the leader in the Jerusalem church. And God wants to do the same thing with you and with me. 
He took a kid, an arrogant, prideful, cocky kid growing up in South Florida and met him right in the midst of his questioning and doubting. And God has done incredible things. I would not have the wife that I have. I would not have my children, that really cute kid you saw on the screen. I wouldn't have my awesome children. I wouldn't be expecting my fourth child. I wouldn't have this incredible truth in my life. I wouldn't have this great place to work and I wouldn't have this great family that I've got to marry into and be a part of if God didn't meet me in my questioning and guide me through my doubts. And friends, God wants to do the same thing with you this Christmas season. But it doesn't end at Christmas. Every single season, if you're willing to learn, he will meet you there. Why? Because God is with you in your questioning. Because he delights in your learning. He loves watching you learn. So Mary starts with intentionally thinking through this and then she moves to a realistic, authentic doubt that she works through that doubt. And one of the ways she begins to work through that doubt is through engaging community, engaging her community. Now, uh, the, the third way, engaging her community, Mary says this. She says, how can this be? And the angel answers in two ways. He says this. He says, hey, nothing's impossible with God, Mary. Now, look, I, side note, I don't know if you... Like, think about that for it. Nothing is impossible with God. No word from God will ever fail. Think about how powerful that statement is for a second. Writers of the New Testament came back to that statement and found it. I mean, God, everything is possible with God. And they found such comfort with that. But here's the thing. We don't get that truth if Mary doesn't doubt. It's through her doubting that the angel reveals that truth that so many have found comfort and strength in. Maybe you have. But from that doubting, he says, nothing's impossible with God, Mary. And he says, go visit Elizabeth, this relative of yours. What, what was impossible for her is also possible. Go find affirmation through your doubt by engaging other people who are experiencing the same thing that maybe know a little bit more than you know because she was told the truth a little bit before you were. I had this professor in graduate school. I loved him. I, I came up to uh, Illinois for graduate school and I, got, I came up to study under this guy's name's Bob Lowry and I studied under him for three years. He passed away right before I graduated. Just an incredible time. But he had this statement he would say like over and over and over again. And at the time, it didn't hit me. But as I've grown, it's become one of the best truths ever. And he said this, learning happens best in community. I mean, he would say that all the time. And what he meant was this. No one really can come, not no one, but most of the time, people don't come to God alone. People don't stumble all by themselves into this profound faith. Now, it can happen. Anything's possible with God. But most of the time, people begin to ask questions and wrestle with doubt and engage with other people who are maybe a step ahead of them and find the answer to their questions and their, their affirmation and they get to this great truth. Now look, Mary, Mary, eventually she will sing this incredible song in this chapter. Now the song's kind of hard to read, but here's the point of the song in chapter one. The point is she believes everything that was presented to her at that moment. And she has this incredible excitement, so overwhelming that she begins to sing out loud. But she doesn't sing that song immediately after talking to the angel. It's only after experiencing the community of being with Elizabeth that that Doubt and those questions and that truth and that surrender are affirmed and solidified by the people around her. Think about this. Think about the ripple effect of Mary's encounter with Elizabeth. 
She encounters Elizabeth. The text tells us that John the Baptist uh, flips in Elizabeth's womb and and this, this incredible moment of affirmation from Mary. Think about years from now when Jesus is on trial and being beaten and she might have a moment of no, I just need, I need him to stop. I, I, I'm doubting. This can't be the way it's supposed to happen. Think about what thought might have come to her mind, going back to that moment with Elizabeth, when her questions and her doubts and her surrender were affirmed. And in that moment, it gave her strength to get through those difficult moments. Think about how she was a beacon of strength for other people who wrestled with their doubt, because at one moment she had wrestled with her own. Friends, don't wrestle with doubt and questioning alone. If church is not for us to come together and work through that together, then what are we here for? A presentation on a Sunday morning, a warm seat, and a safe drive home? It's got to be more than that. We've got to be able to ask questions and live inside of our doubt for a while, but as we engage community, God begins to meet us where we're at and move us through it. And then it gets us to this last stage of Mary's learning, and it's authentic surrender. Authentic surrender. Last of all, Mary's final response after questioning and doubting, which gets affirmed later, but it is this, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I love what one author points out. He says this, one of the most interesting things about the birth of Jesus is that the parents weren't allowed to name the child. They weren't allowed to name him. I mean, did you catch that? The angel said, you're going to name him Jesus. You're going to name him Jesus. Now, parents are usually allowed to name their children. They usually are. In fact, my wife's pregnant with our fourth, and we've been praying and thinking about what his name's going to be. Like, we're, we're getting excited. We're trying to pick out these names and, and pray about him and really find what, what's his name going to be when he comes. Because parents usually are allowed to do that. Why are parents allowed to usually name the child? Why? Because we're older. We're in authority. We get to make the decisions, but not with Mary and Jesus. No, she doesn't get to name him. Why? Did you know this truth? Think about this. Just... Jesus was the only human ever born older than his parents. Let that sink in for a second. What that tells us is this. The angels communicating to Mary, when it comes to Jesus, you don't manage him. He manages you. You don't lead him. He leads you. You don't control him. You surrender to him. And he guides you. You're not his Lord. He's your Lord. Such a simple truth found in that passage, but it's true for all of us. Because here's the deal. When God meets you in your questioning and your doubting, you will come to a moment where the truth is presented and you have a decision to make. Will I or won't I surrender to the truth that I have come to? God will meet you in your questions. He will meet you in your doubts, but he will never leave you there. And we know that because Jesus was born for you. To meet you in your questions, to meet you in your doubts. He was born to bring that truth to the forefront of your heart and mind and to confront you with that truth so that you have to say yes or no to that truth. Now, some people wrestle with this, and I don't know where you're at this morning. You might be somebody who, man, I grew up in church my whole life, and I've just never had room for questioning. I'm not quite sure I remember. I'm not quite sure I know. I'm not quite sure what I believe, and I want to encourage you this way. Let this Christmas be different than the Christmases of past. Let this Christmas for some of you be the moment where you start to ask real questions like Mary did. 
Maybe some of you are in a season of doubt and you're not sure what to do. I'm going to encourage you, sit there in that season of doubt and be intentional with it. Don't just blindly accept it and resolve to not find answers. Go after the answers because God will meet you in your questioning because he delights in your learning. Let him guide you through that and let him do that by engaging you in community. Some of you need to take that next step and stop wrestling with your doubts and questions by yourself, assuming that somehow you're going to find the answer alone. God will bless you with people in your life who are one step ahead of you that will guide you to those answers. He wants to do that. But I think for some of you, this Christmas might be that time when you know the truth and you need to make a decision. Will I or will I not surrender to this truth? Will I or will I not let this truth lord and lead my life? Will I submit the lordship of my life from me to him? Because he's presented you with this incredible gift. And friends, the decision's up to you. But my question for you is this. Will you allow this Christmas to be the most significant one that you've ever experienced, knowing that God will meet you right where you're at because he delights in watching you learn and grow? Let's pray.